for the first time on Filling the Gap, we have a two-part episode. The themes of identity and our faith are the two themes we're going to be covering in the next two episodes. Alyssa is an incredible woman of faith, a devoted mother, a caring wife, and a mental health counselor. Over the last few years, she's been on a journey that has been shaping her identity and raising questions about God, herself, and her future. But I won't jump the gun on the story. I'll let her tell it herself. So I grew up in a really loving, awesome home. Because my dad's a pastor, we moved around quite a bit. I think there are two ways to look at it. There was the positive pressure of having to look and act a certain way. Growing up in a pastoral home is always going to have some kind of impact on you. So I definitely see that it pressured me in positive ways to make better choices because I knew these people were expecting me to have my Bible verses memorized and to go to the spiritual activities. Um, So I was more of a quiet rebel because I was scared of what people would say. (laughs) As Alyssa grew into an adult, she chose to pursue a career in sharing Christ with others through evangelism. I found that I really love being involved in a local church and teaching people how to share their faith, how to evangelize, um, and just getting them sold on having a positive church experience. I had worked three years with a local church, and then I went and taught at a school in Washington for two years. And it was just an amazing spiritual environment. I mean, the best way I can describe it is every day I'd wake up and be so thankful that this was my life. We were serving the community. I mean, on a daily basis, you could see ginormous answers to prayer. You know, you're entering into a community and you're knocking on a door and you're meeting somebody who says, I was just praying for somebody to come and encourage me. You know, that just like, it fills your soul in a way that nothing else can. Throughout the years, this line of work encouraged and grew Alyssa's faith. The ministry she was a part of gave her a purpose and a foundation to her beliefs. But as things were coming to an end for her work, Alyssa was left with an uncertain future. I was 25 and I realized, in, according to the world's eyes, I didn't really have anything to my name. You know, I'd had all these really valuable experiences, but you know, what was I gonna put on a resume? I've sold lots of books and I've given lots of Bible studies. That doesn't say anything from an education standpoint. Eventually, Alyssa and her husband, Mike, left to pursue new careers. And in the midst of this unknown, a few new surprises came along. So in the end of August 2017, we had a suspicion that I might be pregnant. I took a pregnancy test and we realized that it's positive. And I thought that I was gonna be the one that was more excited, like, yes, I've been wanting a baby. I mean, I always would mention it to Mike, like, I can't wait till we have a kid. I'm so excited, let's get pregnant, I want a baby. And I see it and I'm realizing we're jobless. I'm questioning life like I've never questioned it before. And now all of a sudden this child is coming in and it wasn't even planned. So I'm shocked, tears are falling from my face and my husband starts jumping up and down, excited. Although unexpected and maybe untimely, Alyssa and Mike had hopes and dreams for their child. Along with their faith, They wanted to give their child an inheritance of sorts, 
to help them along their journey in life. Growing up, my parents told me that they named me with a purpose, that Alyssa means sincere and my middle name is Joy. So my dad told me your role and purpose in life is to bring sincere joy to those around you. And my husband's name is Michael, which means, you know, who is like God. And his parents were like, you know, your goal in life is to be an example of God, Jesus, to those around you. So with that upbringing, we wanted to pass off the same legacy to our child and knowing that regardless of where they go in life, they have their name to look back onto as far as what is one purpose you have in life. It just kind of kept coming down to this idea of realizing there is a lack of godly men in society. And my husband happened to be given a book randomly by somebody that was on manliness and a call to be a godly man. And he's reading through it and he goes, you know, I just, I wanna, I wanna pass this off to my son. We just kept coming back to the name Andrew, which means manly. And this idea of doing our best to raise a man who could really just be a light to the community. I remember going into our 20-week ultrasound and them saying, everything looks great. He's got all his physical structures that he needs. But as things progressed in my pregnancy, I was healthy. I was exercising on a regular basis, getting out walking. What ended up happening towards month like six or seven was we noticed that I just was taking on a lot of excess water in my belly. That was when we kind of started noticing that something wasn't right. Like your body is just taking on more water than it needs. You're in pain. Something isn't right. And up until this point, various people who had listened to hear Andrew's heartbeat, um, they noticed that it was different. So I wasn't afraid, to be honest. I just expected I was going to have a very ginormous baby. And very soon, baby Andrew would make his debut. And one Saturday afternoon, we had come back from church and we're sitting on the couch uh, preparing for a Bible study with some friends that evening. And I just had been feeling really tired. And this is about my 36th week. Um, So he still had a month more to cook, so to speak. And I just turned to my husband and say, I just want to lay down. So I'm laying down on our couch. And the next thing I know, I didn't feel anything. There's just like this ginormous puddle of water. And we look at each other and I go, I think my water just broke. Andrew was born uh, Saturday evening around 9.30 p.m. And, um, you know, they placed him on my chest. I just was crying, and I just thought he was the most beautiful baby in the entire world. You just, you fall in love when you see this face, and you don't care what everyone else is going to say. They're yours. And I just see this head of dark hair and realize he's just really, really red, and he's not doing the cry that you normally hear a baby do. Um, but at that point, I'm my body's exhausted. I'm tired from all the pushing, and I just wanted to sleep. It must have been around midnight. I woke up, and it was just really quiet. And I'm in this dark room, and I call out for somebody, and my sister-in-law comes, and I go, where's my baby? And... She pauses and she goes, they had to go to the hospital. What? What happened? 
you know, your, your mind is just flooding with so many questions. We go to the hospital the following day, and all we're told from the doctor is, your child has a abnormal heartbeat. We're going to put him on some medication. You'll be out of the hospital today. And to hear that was so relieving. You know, after this scary night of this excitement of, oh my goodness, our baby's here, how exciting, to, wait a minute, my baby's in the hospital, but he's going to be okay. It was the hope that we clung to. Well, that one day turned into six weeks in the NICU. Alyssa gives some perspective on the severity of Andrew's health issues. Our normal heart rates in the low 100s, his would skyrocket to over 300 in a matter of seconds. So it was like his body would run a marathon every few minutes. And one night in particular, the nurse was standing there and the alarm dings, you know, his heart rate is going up. But this time it wasn't coming back down like it normally did. And so she pulls out her watch and what they would have to do is they would have to track how long his heart rate is staying up in these 300s. Two minutes minutes. At the five minute mark, she sounds an alarm and three other nurses enter the room. They did this move called the vagal maneuver and it's where they take a bag of ice and they place it on top of the baby's face um, and that helps to slow down the heart rate. So I'm sitting there in this rocking chair watching as these four nurses are coming in and placing a bag of ice on Andrew's face and then his heart rate comes down, like, oh, thank goodness, and it goes right back up. And I felt so helpless. And I remember a nurse turning and saying, oh, are you the mom? Yeah, I'm the mom. But I thought about that and I thought, I don't feel like his mom at all. I'm not feeding him. I'm not changing his diaper. I have to ask to pick him up and was sometimes denied because, you know, he wasn't in a state where he could be held. And I don't know what's going wrong in his body. I don't know how to help him. I don't know how to explain it. You just don't feel like a mom. These moments of desperation and intense stress begin to form this unprecedented motherhood for Alyssa. This isn't what she envisioned, let alone wanted. It's troubling, disappointing, and it kept getting more difficult. They would come in and they would assess your baby. As I mentioned earlier, when he was first born, I loved him. I thought it was the most beautiful thing in the world. And then you have these doctors that come in and they just, for lack of a better word, it feels like they're ridiculing the physical features of your child oh, we need to take a picture of this. You see his left ear sticks out this much or it's an inch higher and these two toes are webbed together and these thumbs are larger. And, you know, I get it. They're collecting data because all of that is evidence that helps them diagnose what's going on with your child. But then you question the beauty of your own kid. And you start to feel like there is something massively wrong, not just with their insides, but with their outsides. (laughs) 
The home environment that I grew up was great and it was wonderful. And I think there comes into play things from my mom and my dad that cause me to feel very insecure about actions and the way we look. And I never realized that I had that insecurity about physical features until my own child. And realizing that I feared abnormal. I feared something that was different because I wanted that perfect Pinterest life, so to speak. Eventually, they were given some answers to their questions about Andrew. He was labeled a mystery <laughs> until he was almost a year when we got his official genetic diagnosis. And that was when they found out that he had a specific gene mutation that happened in utero, and it's called Rubenstein-Tabe syndrome type two. And it's pretty rare. In fact, they say that out of the 4 million babies that are born in the United States this year, that about 30 of them will have that genetic disorder. Through the whole experience that we've had so far with Andrew, that was very challenging in questioning God and questioning his voice. God, but I thought that this was the way that you wanted it to look. And this is probably going to sound very shallow, but I have a really hard time taking the word manly and connecting it with a person that has mental and, and physical challenges. And I almost imagine that must have been like it, it was for somebody like Mary. You know, she's given this promise, like, your son is going to be the Messiah. And he's born this tiny crying baby in the most humble way. And she's carrying that with her throughout life. And you can tell there are different times in the life of Jesus where she tries to get him to be the king she expects him to be. I felt like God kept drawing me back to that story. At the beginning, I clung on to the promise that God had a purpose for this baby. You've given us this name. It may be really hard right now. It doesn't feel good, but I know God's going to come through. Andrew was finally able to go home and be with his family. But the doctor visits and procedures were far from over. And so we're at home, we're trying to figure out how to give him all the care that he needs, and he just begins to have extreme vomiting. And I mean, 80% of what he was intaking, he was getting rid of. Because he had problems breathing, he could choke on that vomit. We were traveling up to an hour each way, five times a week. On that hour drive, Andrew would vomit at least six times where I'd have to pull over off the freeway, run to the back, make sure that he was breathing. We had the suction machine, suction out his mouth, make sure he was okay. And I mean, it's just, it is living in a constant state of fear. I can't describe it any other way, but you're, you're gripping the steering wheel. You're trying to listen to every single sound of your kid and make sure you can hear them breathing. You get to the hospital, and you're exhausted. And stress does stuff to your body, but also living in a constant state of fear. I'm somebody who thrives off of activity and fun. And for a long time, I was angry. And it feels so wrong to say this because I do love my child. But I was angry because I felt like he stole my life from me loved my job. 
I loved what I did. I woke up every morning thankful. And now I woke up every morning and dreaded it. Because I didn't want to go through the motions all over. After a particularly difficult day, Alyssa heard God tell her to turn on the radio. So I turn on the radio and immediately I hear this voice say, are you going through something in life that's difficult? Ah, yes. Yes, I am. Are you in a situation where it seems impossible for God to work a miracle? And whatever miracle you're asking for, I know he can do it for you. And I'm just thinking, God, is this you? Is this you? You want to heal my son? You really want to do that for me? God, I don't deserve it, but oh, I would sure love it. <laughs> I would sure love it if all of this went away. Alyssa pushed past her fears. She surrendered to the extra faith that she felt God was asking of her. You know, it's easy to ask God to come through, um, at least for me, in various ways, like, please help me find my keys, or please help me have a good day. But when it entails asking for someone to be healed, I think it can be really scary because you don't want to ask for something that's not God's will. And if you pray for someone to be healed and they're not, there's a lot of anger that can be involved in questioning if God really cares and if he's really loving and the compassionate God that he claims to be. I was always afraid to fully step out and even just ask other people to pray for healing with me, even though I knew God was calling me to that step. Because I was afraid, what if he doesn't come through in the way that I want him to? I was asking for a sign, and um, physically there was something on Andrew that I knew if that changed, physically I could see it, and I would take that as a sign that God was going to perform this miracle. And I had had doctors already like confirm this was never going to happen. It would have to be like a total surgical procedure to change it. So I knew if I saw it change, it was a God thing. So I randomly open up my Bible, and this is the verse that I turned to. But you, O Lord, are a God that's full of compassion. You're gracious. You're long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. I will save the son of my maidservant and show her a sign for good. And I'm reading this and I'm just amazed how much God's word can hit so many different areas. Like number one, God's reminding me, Alyssa, I'm full of compassion. I don't just have a little bit. I don't just have 50%. I am 100% full of it and I can offer it to your situation. In 24 hours, I saw the sign I asked for. My husband and I, we were jumping up in the room, we're yelling, we're screaming, we're like, yes, yes. We have this renewed faith, we're very excited. We went into this appointment knowing we don't need this anymore. God healed our son, he fixed it. In fact, God's gonna heal him with everything else. This is just the starting point. We walk in, we talk with the surgeon. He takes one look at Andrew and we noticed the sign I'd pray for, although we'd saw it, it went away. So here we are in this doctor's meetings telling him, we don't need you, we don't need this. And he looks at me and he goes, who's the doctor here? I deal with this all the time. 
and your son needs this surgery. He's not okay. So this is nine months of just trying to cling to God. It's um, the way that I usually describe it. It's, you know, if you've ever gone in the ocean, it's like standing there and you're being pushed under the water and you try to come back up, but another wave comes and you just, you can't catch a break. So it's nine long months and agonizing with God, but just desperate to say, I'm going to cling to you no matter what, I'm going to cling to you. But when you do something so personal and you take it away, I couldn't understand that. I didn't view God as compassionate in that moment. I finally trusted you completely. I finally let my faith go 110% in such a vulnerable way that I felt like he deceived me. And so your whole life where the foundation has been a spiritual experience, you know, from learning it from your parents, going to school for it, making it your career, your whole life suddenly begins to be questioned I left, and I left my faith in that room. And this is where we will stop. There's more to Alyssa's story, and we will continue it in the next episode. But there is intentionality behind this pause. I want you to wrestle with the doubts, the fears, and the pain that Alyssa is going through. Our faith is never a clear path. We have both mountaintop experiences and deep dark nights of the soul. We always want to skip to the good part. We want the testimony that comes after the heartache. But for now, I'm leaving you in this pivotal moment of life. I'm also going to leave you with a hope that allows you to wrestle with the questions about God, about ourselves, and about life. And that is that you're not alone. Just like Alyssa was able to draw experiences from the Bible, we can do the same. We aren't the first to wrestle with understanding God's character. In fact, someone literally did wrestle with God, Jacob. The hope that comes from the fight is that we'll be able to be near to our pain and near to our God. Next time on Filling the Gap, we come back to hear the rest of Alyssa's story. The Christian walk isn't about having a perfectly consistent spirituality. Do we wish that? Absolutely. But until sin is completely done away with on this earth, I'm going to struggle. And so I'm getting back up (laughs) and I'm starting at ground zero and saying, God, I've pushed you away for this long. I'm going to start over with you. 